From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks so much for tuning in. Well, coming up on this January 3rd edition, Israel is on heightened alert for a possible escalation with Hezbollah after a surgical strike in Beirut took out a top Hamas leader. Israel has not taken responsibility for this attack, but whoever did it, it must be clear that this was not an attack on the Lebanese state. It was not an attack even on Hezbollah, the terrorist organization. Whoever did this did a surgical strike against the Hamas leadership. That was Mark Regev, senior advisor to Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. We'll get the latest from Israel from CBN Middle East Bureau Chief Chris Mitchell in just a moment. House Speaker Mike Johnson and over 60 Republican House members toured the southern border today in Eagle Pass, Texas. You have everybody from uh, from, from California to Maryland, from Michigan to, to Florida. We, we represent over half the U.S. states because every state in America is now a border state. And we've seen that on vivid display today. That was Speaker Johnson just a little while ago at a press conference on the border. Speaker Mike Johnson is scheduled to join us here on Washington Watch tomorrow to uh, break down his trip to the border. Next week, the House Homeland Security Committee is slated to proceed with impeachment proceedings against Secretary Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. The title of next week's hearing is Havoc in the Heartland, How Secretary Mayorkas's Failed Leadership Has Impacted the States. Dr. Tim Durkee, elderman on the Rockford, Illinois City Council, will join us later on Washington Watch to discuss how illegal immigration is impacting the suburbs and cities all across the heartland. And yesterday, we had Ohio State Representative Gary Click, author of Ohio Safe Act legislation on the program, discussing next steps after Governor DeWine vetoed the legislation last week that protects minors from experimental surgeries and drugs being pushed by transgender activists. However, the bill also addressed the issue of women's sports. But Governor DeWine was dismissive of concerns over protecting girls in sports. Sports part of this bill, uh, certainly certainly important, but it affects just a handful, literally a handful of, of children. Uh, the part that I've addressed uh, affects many more, even though it's a small number of the total population of children in the state of Ohio. So I focused on that, uh, and I did not ever get to the second, the second issue. Well, we are. We're going to talk about it with Meg Kilgannon, Senior Fellow for Education Studies here at the Family Research Council a little bit later. And finally, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie told a gathering in New Hampshire last week that he has changed his position on same-sex marriage. I don't have any objection to it any longer. Um, In the end, I think I've been convinced. And, you know, that's part of being a thinking, breathing human being, I hope is that you can hold certain opinions at one time and hold them genuinely, and I did. But over time, look, I, you know, this past week or two, you know, Pope Francis is now allowing, you know, blessings of same-sex couples. Even the church is changing. Hmm. Well, his policies have always been weak, so frankly, this is no surprise. But his justification here should set off alarm bells. Now, this reveals how government policy is really downstream from the culture, and culture is downstream from the church. We're going to talk with Dr. Al Mohler, president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, a little bit later here on Washington Watch. You won't want to miss that conversation. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Our word for today comes from Genesis chapter 6. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart 
was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things, and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Notice that, but Noah found grace. It was God's grace that saved Noah as he put his faith in God. And it's the same for us today. As Paul wrote to the Ephesians, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that, not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. To join our daily journey through the Bible, visit frc.org Bible. In fact, you'll find a free downloadable reading plan right there at the website, frc.org Bible. Well, reports indicate that Shala al-Aloria, a key Hamas leader, was killed in an explosion outside Beirut in Lebanon. Israeli officials have so far not taken credit for the bombing, which marks the first killing of a Hamas leader outside the West Bank and Gaza since the October 7th terrorist attacks. What will come as a result of this? Is this an escalation? Joining me now from Jerusalem to discuss this is Chris Mitchell, Middle East Bureau Chief for CBN News. Chris, welcome back to Washington Watch. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Tony. Great to be with you again. Now, give us an understanding of of what took place yesterday. Of course, today, earlier today in Iran, we had a uh, a blast as well. No one's taken credit for that as of yet. Um, Are things heating up there in the Middle East right now? Well, I think they are, Tony. I think before the uh, after the October 7th massacre, uh, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said that the Hamas top leaders were dead men walking. Uh, So this attack presumably by Israel, but they're not taking responsibility, is uh, the beginning of that kind of process. Uh, you know, back in 1972, uh, Golda Meir, the Israeli prime minister then, uh, pledged that all the uh, perpetrators of the uh, uh, <clears throat> Olympic massacre in Munich uh, would be dead. That was called the wrath of God. There's no name for this particular, uh, <clears throat> presumably, uh, you know, attempt by Israel uh, leadership to take out all the top Hamas leadership. But it does raise the stakes here, Tony. The, uh, for weeks now, many people have been saying that the, what you have to look at is not only just the war in Gaza with Hamas, but also in Hezbollah. Hezbollah is a much stronger military force, uh, one of the top armies actually in the Middle East. And so they have uh, maybe 150,000 rockets, many of them precision guided. So if there's an escalation in the north, partly because of this assassination, uh, that could really raise the stakes here uh, dramatically here in the Middle East. Have you seen any movement uh, movement there in in Israel to suggest that there's preparations being made for an escalation? Well, the IDF chief of uh, the IDF spokesman has said that they're ready for any uh, escalation on any front. Uh, he didn't mention the assassination in uh, particularly, but he did make that comment, which presumably uh, sends a signal that to Hezbollah and its leader, Hassan Nasrallah, that uh, to warn them about any escalation. Uh, so there are just no particular escalations or, or readiness by the IDF that you can uh, identify. But, uh, but that statement, I think, says enough to tell that uh, the IDF will be prepared for any escalation by Hezbollah on the northern border. Could that explain some of the troops that are being pulled out of Gaza, being positioned elsewhere? Well, it could be. I mean, they, they do say that there's five battalions that have been taken out of Gaza. 
Uh, but the fighting does continue in the north of Gaza. Most of that uh, has been taken over by the IDF and the fighting remains in the south. Uh, it, it's not necessarily uh, exactly clear if those five battalions are going to be redeployed up in the north. There is a heavy military presence by the IDF up there uh, right now. And uh, presumably, if they need to, they'll, they'll send more troops up there if necessary. So, so Chris Mitchell, give us a sense of, of the kind of the atmosphere there in Israel now. Um, is there a sense of victory looming? I mean, where are the expectations being met? Well, so far, I think the IDF is going methodically and cautiously uh, throughout uh, Gaza. It, <clears throat> Tony, I'm amazed to see the video coming out of Gaza day by day, the network of tunnels, uh, the amount of weapons, uh, not only in schools and mosques and in the kindergartens, uh, but in almost in any building that you can find there. Uh, I think there's a resolute feeling here in Israel that it will take months. And that's what uh, Israeli Defense Minister Wav Galant said. I think there's a, a resoluteness that they will do what they can, whether it takes uh, however long it takes. Now, that involves uh, whether or not the U.S. and other international parties are going to put pressure on Israel to stop that. But I well, think they want to make sure that there's safety on the southern border. Well, let's, let's talk about that uh, international pressure and where the United States stands. I mean, United States, uh, you know, vetoing the resolution in the United Nations a couple of weeks ago, uh, you know, still standing firm, wave, wavering just a bit. But uh, is there a sense that they're going to be able to go the distance or are they committed, regardless of what the international community says, to finish the course? I think the Israeli leadership is uh, dis decided to go finish the course. Uh, you know, I was watching an earlier documentary on Menachem Begin, and the Begin Doctrine says that they won't allow any neighbor to have uh, weapons of mass destruction uh, to be able to eliminate the Jewish state. And uh, that would include if you can take uh, all of the ring of fire that Iran has put around uh, Israel right now, Gaza, Hezbollah, the militias in, in Iraq and Syria, as well as the Houthis down in Yemen, uh, I think Israel is decided to go ahead and uh, go the route, even against uh, pressure by the United States or the international community. Chris Mitchell, is there a sense that this is the time that they may not have the opportunity later? <laughs> and if they don't, while they're already raising you know, the ire of some in the international community, they might as well go forward and eliminate all of the surrounding threats. That's a big question, uh, 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 Tony, it remains to be seen. I think they've made the tactical decision right now to, to eliminate Hamas on the southern border before they uh, reopen a major front uh, in, uh, in, in the northern border with Hezbollah, even though the fighting's been going on for weeks. I mean, it is a war, but it's a low-scale war, and it seems like both parties, Hezbollah and Israel, want to maintain that low scale, at least for now. Uh, but whether or not they, they, Israel is going to make a decision to go and eliminate all of its enemies, whether or not it has the ca capability to do it all at the same time remains to be seen. But I think this is uh, what happened on October 7th, I think, was a game changer for Israeli leadership and Israelis to do what they need to do to preserve uh, the, the future of the Jewish state, because they feel this is an existential threat against the Jewish people. Uh, Chris Mitchell, I really appreciate you staying up late and, and joining us there from Jerusalem. I, I do want to ask another question about the sense of support that uh, Israel is receiving from uh, the evangelical community. 
uh, in the United States in particular, is there a sense that uh, that the Christians are standing with Israel? I, I think that's one of the stories of this war, uh, Tony. I think uh, the fact that evangelical Christians have been coming out so strongly in support of Israel, uh, that includes uh, CBN's Gordon Robertson. Uh, Franklin Graham was here recently. So was uh, Governor uh, Huckabee, uh, Joe Rosenberg. Many have come here to show support, and I think that really is uh, is is a really a morale booster for uh, for Israelis and the Jewish people around the world. Final question for you, Chris Mitchell. How can evangelicals be praying? Pray for wisdom for the leaders here in Israel, uh, for the military leaders, political leaders, and for Israelis. Uh, pray for comfort. You know, Isaiah chapter 40 says, comfort, comfort ye my people. This has been such a shock, a traumatic shock. Uh, you know, I, somebody has said most all, all Israelis are suffering from PTSD. Uh, surrounded, and uh, so that Christian support is is invaluable, and prayer for comfort and wisdom at this time is invaluable as well, and for the peace of Jerusalem. We will certainly encourage our listeners and viewers to do just that, and uh, as always, Chris Mitchell, great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll be praying for you and your family as well. Thanks, Tony. Chris Mitchell, CBN News over in Jerusalem. And I I certainly would encourage you to be praying for Israel, praying for the peace of Jerusalem and that that whole region. All right, coming up next, Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas faces possible impeachment proceedings next week. Actually, they're going to have hearings. may lead to those proceedings. And it's all because he hasn't upheld security at the border. We're going to talk about its impact on the heartland next. Don't go away. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. 
Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. And by the way, uh, we are beginning a new journey through the Bible, and it's a two-year journey. We break down the readings 10 to 15 minutes a day, and you know what? Two years, you'll be through the entire Bible. And we've got a reading plan. It's chronological, and if you'd like to join us on this journey, we're starting fresh and new this week. Go to frc.org slash Bible to download the reading plan. Well, even as a congressional delegation led by House Speaker Mike Johnson tours the southern border today, the House Homeland Security Committee has formally moved uh, forward with impeachment proceedings for Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Now, this comes uh, as earlier this week, the U.S. Customs and Border Protection officials confirmed that there were 302,000 immigrants, migrants, uh, encounters last month on the border, marking the highest number of monthly illegal crossings ever recorded. The first Mayorkas impeachment hearing scheduled for next uh, week, actually a week from today, has been named Havoc in the Heartland. How Secretary Mayorkas failed leadership has impacted the states. The Biden administration's border control disaster has turned every state into a border state. And we're now seeing the strain this places on local governments. Joining me now to, uh, to discuss this is Dr. Tim Durkee, who is an elderman on the Rockford, Illinois City Council. Dr. Durkee, welcome to Washington Watch. All right. uh, Dr. Durkee, welcome. Thank you. So um, l- let me ask you this. Earlier this week, a, a plane carrying approximately 350 migrants landed at the Rockford International Airport. Tell us what happened. Well, the, uh, the flight originated, we believe, from Texas at about 340 migrants, and they were escorted to uh, buses that were waiting for them. And uh, the buses then left the Rockford terminal and then proceeded to Chicago. Now, let me just ask you this. There's concern in s- suburban communities like yours, uh, where you serve as an alderman. Could Rockford have accommodated 350 uh, new people overnight? I no, uh, not without not without displacing, you know, probably people in hotels. But our hotels may or may not have accommodated them on a temporary basis. But to accommodate them on a full time basis would be difficult because somebody the hotel bill, but we do not have that capacity. 
Uh, has this, you know, this is happening in communities all across the country as we now see, you know, governor of Texas and others that are busing these illegal migrants from uh, their states to other states up north, a lot to sanctuary cities like New York and uh, Chicago. Has this raised the level of awareness of the problem of uh, illegal immigration? Yeah, we there was some chatter um, in our area, the Rockford area, uh, as to some of the charitable organizations bringing migrants into the into the Rockford City area. It's more rumor than it is proven, but uh, we sort of anticipate that may happen at some point because of our proximity to Chicago. Now, you are full time. You're a doctor. You serve um, on the, the, the council there. What are your concerns? You've expressed some concerns about what may be happening as, as these folks are coming in from all over the place into communities across America. Well, one of the one of the underplayed concerns that I have as a physician and I'm physician said is I've actually done some missionary work overseas. But there are any number of infectious and communicable diseases that people can bring across the border with them that uh, can't result in exposure to unsuspecting citizens of the United States. For instance, polio. There are some forms of tuberculosis that are antibiotic resistant. There's actually leprosy that still exists in different countries that's communicable. But yeah, it, among that and other things like measles, and then we have a certain population in the United States that uh, either is not vaccinated for one reason or another, either they don't want to be vaccinated or they just let it slide. And then they can fall victim to infectious diseases that people may across. So when we're talking about people in, in this at this volume, I mean, where we just last month, over 300,000 crossed the southern border. Um, that's a lot of folks that are being sent to communities across the, 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 the country. You know, at, at the local level, unlike the federal government, you just can't print money. You've got to work within the budget that you have as a city. Uh, what are some of the ways you've looked at this now that this is coming closer to home? How will this impact communities? Well, we we haven't done a a deliberate, detailed study on our own and looked at it. But, you know, Rockford is a, is a great city of uh, good folks. We are, are, are recovering from the pandemic and seeing some resurgence in economic activity and development. We do have our own challenges within our population. In the state of Illinois, we have the highest uh, in a sense, a number of housing units per capita in the state of Illinois, public housing and subsidized housing units. So you have a pretty substantial population uh, that we bear, that we uh, support. Our problem is the median household income in Rockford is somewhere around $50,000, $54,000. And to have any kind of substantial uh, influx of the challenges that illegal aliens would bring to bear in Rockford would uh, raise some considerable concerns. They would uh, obviously tax our uh, school system, our health care systems. Uh, our health care systems here in Rockford are operating on a pretty thin margin. And so these added costs would be difficult for us to bear here. 
Doctor, we're up against a break, but uh, just final question for you very quickly. Do you see the, the city council and others calling upon the federal government to resolve this issue, to stem the flow? Um, not not quite yet. It really hasn't um, come across. We did have uh, some talk, some discussion some years ago about uh, sort of an effort to become somewhat of a, a, a sanctuary city. And that effort was voted down uh, several years ago. So we have talked about with the current crisis, not with this yeah. current. And well, it might be time to revisit the topic because it looks like this is going to continue unless the Biden administration does something at the uh, the southern border. Uh, Dr. Durkee, I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, thanks so much for taking time to uh, to be with us today. All right. After the break, Meg Kilgannon joins me as we continue to track the Safe Act in Ohio. That's next. Don't go away. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us. All right. I, I spoke yesterday regarding the Ohio SAFE Act, a measure designed to protect children from experimental surgeries and drugs. It passed both chambers overwhelmingly of the Ohio General Assembly, um, but Republican Governor Mike DeWine vetoed it last Friday. While the need to protect children from harmful and permanent gender procedures remains urgent, Governor DeWine's veto also marks a setback for girls and women's sports and ultimately their safety. Joining me now to discuss this, Meg Kilgannon, Senior Fellow for Education Studies here at the Family Research Council. She served in the Department of Education during the Trump administration. Meg, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks for having me, Tony. Happy New Year. 
Well, thank you. Happy New Year to you as well. Last week in vetoing House Bill 68, the SAFE Act, Governor DeWine admitted that he didn't even look at the sports issue. Um, Explain that portion of the bill and, and why that's a major oversight on behalf of the governor. Just when you thought you couldn't be more insulted by that performance, it got more insulting as it went on. Um, the the sports portion of the bill was authored by Jenna Powell, Representative Jenna Powell, and our viewers may, be, may remember her from the Prevost Stand Summit and many other engagements with Family Research Council. She's a fantastic pro-life hero in Ohio, and she wrote this bill to protect women and girls in sports. And it's very simply establishes that we're going to have teams for women and we're going to have teams for men, teams for girls and boys in, in the younger grades. It included both K-12 and um, university level sports. And it said that we're going to protect women's opportunities in sports. So when Governor DeWine dismissed this aspect of the bill as affecting only a tiny handful of people, that really tells you how biased his approach to this entire issue was. Because he's clearly, when he says a tiny, tiny handful of people, he's thinking only of the transgender-identified athletes who might be playing sports, a subset of a subset, right? But he's not considering the athletes, the female athletes especially, who are going to be playing against those transgender-identified students, those boys who are identifying as girls and who are taking spots away from girls on sports teams, who are competing with their male bodies against females with their female bodies and boys who can run faster, who are stronger, who throw harder, who kick farther, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it was not it was not a small matter. Well, I was a little confused by his comments, because if you actually look at the sports and and I'll be very candid, I don't talk a lot about it. I'm not big on the sports thing, but it's it's an issue. I I think the the bigger issue is the standpoint of these surgical, uh, irreversible surgeries and drugs that are being pushed onto these kids. But when you'd compare the number of people impacted, fewer impacted by the surgeries and the drugs than all of the girls playing sports in the state of Ohio. Absolutely. And I mean, the boys, too. Boys don't necessarily want girls who think they're boys in their locker rooms either. But yes, it definitely the, the it impacts the girls much more severely. And it was very curious, those remarks. Right. Because uh, fortunately, um, you know, if you believe the transgender activists, there's no minor surgery happening in Ohio. I find that difficult to believe. But um, the the procedures, the medical procedures are becoming more and more common. But that still doesn't doesn't come close to the number of children who play sports. Right, right. Lots and, of kids play sports. And, and it's frankly, I'm, I'm a bit surprised he is a major outlier on this issue because the sports yes. bill has really been at the tip of the spear of turning people's um, minds on this to address women's sports because of not just the fairness and the college scholarships, but the safety issues involved here. And as they've looked under the hood, then they've said, hey, there's a lot more here. And that's where we turn to these safe acts. Well, I, I always loved this bill, including the sports with the, the gender procedures, because it really showed a momentum that was going forward on our side, a momentum that is real. We have had the issue separated, the medical aspects and the sports aspects separately. This bill rolled them all together, 
And it was showing that, yes, we as a country, we have come to terms with this. We are not doing this anymore. And in Ohio, we're not doing either one of these things. We're not going to waste our time with two bills. We're going to do this with one bill because we know that this is what the overwhelming majority of Ohioans want for their families and for their children. And so for him to veto this is just beyond absurd. Well, it's not over. Uh, we had Representative Click on yesterday, who is the author of House Bill 68, and he said the override effort will begin next week. And so what do uh, our viewers and listeners in Ohio need to do? Well, they need to reach out to their state representatives and their state senators and congratulate them and expect them to override this veto, but call them and make sure they're going to do it and thank them for their work so far. Yeah, don't take anything for granted, folks. This is... Um, you know, it, it passed overwhelmingly veto-proof margins in both chambers uh, of the assembly. But you need to contact them. We make it easy for you. You can go to TonyPerkins.com, and under Episode Resources, uh, there's links so you can contact your representative and your senator. Meg Kilgannon, always great to see you. I guess you're headed out now to the basketball court. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Tony. All right. Have a great evening. Meg Kilgannon. One of the great team members at the Family Research Council. And uh, so, folks, if you're in Ohio, contact your state representative and your senator. And we make it real easy for you. Again, just go to TonyPerkins.com and you go under Episode Resources for today's program. And we've got a link where you can contact and encourage them to override the governor's veto. And this happened before. Arkansas. Republican governor there, the first SAFE Act that we worked on, he vetoed it, overrode that veto. And then we've had uh, three Democratic governors also, three or four, and most of those have been overridden as well. All right, next, Chris Christie, the GOP presidential candidate, says he's changed his marriage, uh, changed his view on same-sex marriage. We talk about why after the break. Don't go away. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clausen, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, 
and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I mentioned this yesterday, starting in the new year, we're going to be doing a weekly worldview poll, a question. And uh, I said I'd have the results for you today, but I'm going to actually leave the the poll question open a little bit longer. We're going to give you the results probably either tomorrow or Friday. So you actually have a chance to participate if you didn't yesterday. And here's what I want to talk about. Um, If you've been a regular viewer or listener of Washington Watch, you've heard me discuss SageCon. That's spiritually active, governance-engaged conservative, SageCon. George Barna coined that term. Now, throughout 2024, I'm going to be inviting you to participate in polls and questionnaires to determine if you are a SageCon and would like to engage with the Family Research Council and our resources that we have put together especially for SageCon. You say, what's a SageCon? Well, to be short on it, a short definition is it's people who are engaged culturally because of their faith. We, We are compelled to be salt and light. Well, this week's poll question is this. When it comes to the formation of your worldview, how influential is the Bible? All right. As you think about the world around you and shape your opinions, how influential is the Bible in that process? Text the word poll, that's P-O-L-L, to 67742 to participate. Again, that's poll to 67742 to participate in the survey. In a New Hampshire town hall last week, Struggling Republican presidential candidate Chris Christie claimed his position on same-sex marriage has changed in the year since he decried the U.S. Supreme Court's decision to strike down the Defense of Marriage Act in 2013. Christie, who identifies as a Catholic, cited the Vatican's recent documents on blessing same-sex couples as indicating that even the church is changing. Here, I want to play a clip of what he had to say. Clip number nine, please. I don't have any objection to it any longer. Um, in the end, I think I've been convinced. And, you know, that's part of being a thinking, breathing human being, I hope, is that you can hold certain opinions at one time and hold them genuinely. And I did. But over time, look, I, you know, this past week or two, you know, Pope Francis is now allowing, you know, blessings of same-sex couples. Even the church is changing. Well, God's word hasn't changed 
And it's not going to change. It's not an opinion. It's the authoritative word of God. But how will people in our culture recognize this if it is not clearly preached from the pulpits? I believe we're living in a time when moral clarity is needed probably more than any other time in our country's history. And it needs to come from the pulpits. Joining me now to discuss this and much more is Dr. Albert Moeller, president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's the author of many books, including Tell Me the Stories of Jesus, The Explosive Power of Jesus' Parables. Dr. Moeller, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks for uh, taking time to join us. Tony, it's always good to be with you and uh, never a shortage of things for us to talk about. Uh, no, it's a new year and we got a new stack. Uh, they, they come very quickly. Um, But before we get into Christie's remarks, how important is it to recognize that he acknowledged this was a shift in his position? Yeah, you know, uh, you and I have been following people a long time, and uh, the favorite political word for this is evolved. My position has evolved. Uh, And, you know, uh, Christie went so far as to claim that this is what intelligent people do. Well, you know, that's true if truth changes, Otherwise, you've just changed your mind. And that's the way it is with Chris Christie. When he was running for governor of New Jersey in 2009, he was very much against same-sex marriage. He was for civil unions, he said at the time, with legal recognition. But he was against same-sex marriage. Can't go that far. Now, all of a sudden, he's uh, running for president, or at least for the Republican presidential nomination. And uh, so it's time to join the bandwagon. And so there, there is just a familiar pattern here. And we see this over and over again. And you stated this exactly right. God's truth does not evolve. God's word stands forever. And uh, and by the way, Chris Christie was right in 2009. He's profoundly wrong in 2024. Yeah, Dr. Mueller, I'm not, su- I'm, not, I'm not surprised at all. Chris Christie's always been kind of weak on things. But what right. what drew my attention to this, I mean, he could say all kinds of stuff that I would say, yeah, that's Chris Christie. Uh, but what right. what drew my attention to this was his justification, his rationale right. for this, something both you and I have addressed when it was stated from Pope Francis, that is now, right. it's, it's a very muddled uh, proclamation that allows the blessing of same-sex couples, which is being interpreted in different ways by different people. But how can the church bless something that God says is a sin? Well, it can't do so without sinning itself and becoming complicit in sin. And you're exactly right. And look, the Pope intentionally sent a muddled signal uh, because he tried to say at one point that the, the Catholic Church's doctrine hasn't changed. Marriage is and can only be the union of a man and a woman. On the other hand, he turns right around and uh, says that the pastoral application may be a spontaneous blessing of persons and same-sex couples. Well, and, and you know, all of a sudden, spontaneously, people started lining up. And so, you know, the Pope himself is, uh, is to blame for the muddle in the Roman Catholic Church on this issue. But you're exactly right. Chris Christie has been evolving on this long before the Pope. The Pope was a very convenient hook on him to hang his most recent uh, politically correct position. But, but OK, but, but I don't want to leave this. And I know we're talking about the the Pope's comments in in the Catholic Church, more formal and their declarations. Mm -hmm. But I want to talk about the evangelical church, uh, where there's been a drift from the authoritative word of God that may not be in a formal declaration, but by action is dismissive of the truth of God's word. No, you're exactly right. Among evangelicals, it's not a two-step, it's a three-step. 
it, it, so first you have to have people who say, you know, I, I have a personal position on this. I hold to a biblical conviction, but I'm not going to speak about it in public. Uh, I'm not going to apply it to public policy. So that's step number one. Step number two, I don't think this is central to the gospel. And uh, even though the Bible clearly defines marriage, I don't think that's an issue on which we should uh, divide people. And then step number three, you got the rainbow flag, you're wearing the rainbow, you know, vestments. And, uh, and so, yeah, you see this happening. And look, there's a lot of slippage we're witnessing right now among evangelicals. Uh, you and I both know that there are an awful lot of people who call themselves evangelical who just can't wait uh, to uh, shift their public position on this issue. And quite frankly, privately, you and I also know uh, they've been giving sanction to these relationships for a long time, absolutely contrary to Scripture. So that's where it goes back to, and this is where I believe, this is why the Family Research Council, you know, I've talked about this before, but as a public policy organization in Washington, D.C., people say, why are you promoting reading the Bible? And here's the reason, is because if we don't stand on something that is unchanging, right. we're going to all end up like Chris Christie. Well, and you know, that's exactly uh, what you see in the Scripture itself. The Bible's very clear that if you don't hold the biblical truth and, uh, you know, you, you don't stand upon the solid rock, then the next thing you know, you are tossed to and fro uh, by every wave and wind. And, uh, you know, we kind of expect that of politicians, uh, which is why we have to watch them so carefully. But we expect far better out of those who are, first of all, the preachers of God's Word. They had better be just that, the preachers of God's Word, unchanged and unchanging. Well, I I, uh, I was going to say I hesitate to bring this up, but I, I don't because I've said it before. Mm-hmm. But it's a comment that I've actually gotten frequently as I go mm-hmm. onto the Hill and as I, I meet with uh, elected officials and, 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 and believers and, and some not believers. But they've they've asked me this. They say, Tony, why do preachers want us to vote on issues and discuss issues on TV that they won't speak about from the pulpit? Well, I think we ought to at least uh, give a, an open acknowledgement the fact there's so many faithful evangelical preachers out there, you and I both know, who are doing just that and, and doing so boldly and, and bravely and, and uh, convictionally. But and I believe, and by the way, I believe, I believe yeah. those are the churches that are growing and yes, adding to uh, their number. By, by sheer coincidence, Tony. Uh, yeah, by sheer coincidence. Um, but th- there are those, on the other hand, who think that uh, the best thing they can do in terms of uh, dealing with this issue is not to deal with it. And, you know, that's a, frankly a, not just a problem of pastoral courage. It's a problem of theological conviction. In this case, sadly, both are missing in far too many. And, uh, you know, we have some stellar examples of how this can be done. We have some horrifying examples of how the opposite is done. We know what faithfulness looks like when we know what unfaithfulness looks like. And we need to encourage uh, pastors to faithfulness. And by the way, church members have a lot to say in this. Yes. And so, you know, church members out there, hear this from a a seminary president. Uh, You need to be talking to your pastor about what he is and is not saying about this issue from the pulpit. But they also need to be reinforcing what they hear, because as you're right, I want to I want to be very clear, and I, I appreciate you bringing that up. There are a lot of faithful pastors that are preaching the word. I I that's a church I attend. The pastors preaching the word. That's why I'm there. Wouldn't be there if you wasn't preaching the word. And so I'll text them, and I'll say, hey. Great message. Thank you for hitting that issue. Thank you for not sidestepping that issue. So I think that is, you know, obviously we're preaching when we preach. We preach as under the Lord. We're, we're his messengers, and it's his word that we're preaching. But we're human beings as well. 
And it's it's actually nice to hear occasionally not the criticisms, but uh, the gratitude for for preaching. And so people in the pews can have a powerful impact on their pastor. That's right. And, you know, they, they're powerful and receptive in hearing the Word of God and affirming it. And, and, you know, in this case, you know, the main message is not the impossibility of same-sex marriage. It's the glory of marriage as not only God's first fundamental institution He gave humanity, but as a picture of the relationship between Christ and the Church. In other words, you mess this up. You haven't just messed up, you know, a cultural institution. You're messing up a picture of the gospel. Right. And so Christ's people need to be very alert to what's going on here. But Dr. Moeller, additionally, I mean, if we, if we capitulate, if the church capitulates on this issue, what will be next? I mean, once you surrender, once you have right. pierced that veil of mm-hmm. going silent on the truth of God or walking away from his truth, there's no telling where you'll end up. You know, I, I, I think you make that point well. And, and you know, just the initials tell us a whole lot. LGBTQ, and then in some cases, plus, you know, you go to some college campuses and there's IA and you just go to, it's like an alphabet soup. There's always something to follow. And, uh, you know, this is what, uh, you know, the English used to call the parade of horribles. It's, it, it's one thing, it leads to another thing, it leads to another thing. You know, one of the most amazing statements I've ever heard was by uh, Andrew Sullivan you know, who was a very, very prominent homosexual male activist, you know, over the course of the last several decades. And, you know, he's quite frustrated by the transgender non-binary argument, because, of Mm -hmm. course, uh, you know, I'm not going to give his exact quote, but the the bottom line is there's no point in being a gay man if you don't know what a man is. And so you'll notice that even the sexual revolutionaries, they set it loose, and the next thing they know, it consumes them, and it goes on to the next thing. And so, yeah, it always goes to the the next thing. And it's hard to imagine what comes after non-binary, except I think you and I both know it's it's going to have something to do with the number of people in a relationship. Yes. Uh, I think polygamy is the next thing. I I want to go back to, we're almost out of time, but I want to go back to something you said earlier as, um, you know, people don't want to talk about these issues because I'm just going to preach the gospel. Right. But, you know, this is a part of preaching the gospel. It's the full counsel of God. And if the church vacillates on the truth and sidesteps the truth and goes silent, when when the world has tried everything else and they're looking for real answers, are they going to turn back to them, to, to the one who was afraid to speak truth to them? No, I'm certain they will not. And, you know, this uh, this whole Chris Christie moment is a wake-up call, not just for politicians, but for pastors and others. Uh, if your position's evolving on this away from Scripture, then resign. Uh, if you're holding to biblical truth, then do so joyously, boldly, comprehensively, and uh, and preach God's Word to God's people who will receive it receptively and obediently. And, you know, uh, the, the the tidal wave on this is massive, and you and I both know that. And uh, the movement by the Roman Catholic Church in the last few weeks is, uh, is, is quite lamentable on every front. So there may be fewer of us, Tony, but, uh, you know, we believe it actually shows the power of the gospel, that God's gospel people are not deterred regardless of what the world throws well, at us. Is, is he said, you know, my opinion is changing. But, but here's, here's my view of this. It's not my opinion. It's, it's what the Word right. of God states. So, so my opinion really doesn't factor into any of these issues. It is the stated, revealed Word of God, and it's authoritative. Therefore, as a follower of Christ, 
either I deny him and walk away from his word or I embrace his word, even though the rest of the world may have rejected it. Yeah, to underline your point, I think it's very revealing that Chris Christie spoke honestly when he spoke about his opinion evolving, as if, by the way, we care about his opinion. Uh, I do, but I care more about public policy, and I care even more about God's truth, which we believe is not only right, but is, is what's necessary for a flourishing society. And I think we, we know that to be true, fundamentally. It's the only thing we can anchor to, lest we see the drift that, quite frankly, is taking place in our culture and our country today. Dr. Al Mohler, always great to see you. Thanks so much for, uh, for taking time to, uh, to join us today. Tony, great to be with you as always. And we always talk about important things. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Dr. Al Mohler, uh, great. Uh, in fact, he's got some great resources available. You go to TonyPerkins.com. You can follow the links over. He's got a daily briefing that he does. It's very, very insightful. I always love to have him on the program. All right, you've got some homework here for you. If you're living in Ohio, you need to contact your state representative and your state senator. You can find that information at TonyPerkins.com. The rest of you, we need to be praying. We need to be praying for Israel, for the peace of that region, not just for the Jewish people, but for the Palestinians. They they all need peace. Uh, And there are believers there. We need to pray for all of them. And we need to be praying for our country, for for the pulpit to proclaim truth, and for our political leaders to stand on that truth as well. All right, folks, we're out of time. Until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything that you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at one 866 372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.